When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to another Celtics Lab post-game playoff pod, this time with good things to talk through. Uh, this episode of the Celtics Lab podcast is brought to you by FanDuel, the exclusive wagering partner of the CLNS Media Network and BetterHelp. You deserve to be happy. It's just me, Justin Quinn, and Alex Goldberg here on the call at the moment. Cam is talking to the guys who did the thing that we all wanted them to do. He'll join us a little bit later, but first we're going to talk about uh, whether Harden in Las Vegas was a red herring. Uh, Jason Tatum in NBA 2K, but really the only thing we're going to be spending any length of time talking about tonight is what happened in game two in the lab. So uh, Alex, how are we feeling? I mean, I'm feeling okay. You know, a blowout win is always nice. And I enjoyed watching the Celtics play basketball tonight. Obviously, they very much needed to win this game. Uh, and they came out and did it. So I'm happy. Um, at the same time, I'm trying to keep a level head on this one. Uh, the job is far from done. They still need to go out and win on the road. Uh, we know they're capable of it. And tonight they showed us why. Yeah, I, I do feel what you're, you're saying there about not letting this get to our heads and hopefully not their heads because we've been through this ride before and it's a bumpy one. It goes up, it goes down. It's rarely in the middle. That being said, um, we are back. Like this is the team that we were hoping would show up in game one and they are absolutely capable of winning this series if they play like they did tonight. Like, I don't think there's any debate or question about it. Well, I think you probably already answered my question about whether or not this game changes your opinion about the series, but let's take a more granular view and start sure. with the first quarter. How did you look at the game as it was starting? Were you worried? Were you comfortable? Um, I was definitely a little nervous. The one thing that I liked right from the jump is that uh, the defensive intensity for Boston was notably more present, uh, and that was right at the very beginning of the game. Um, the thing that I noticed kind of most, uh, and sorry if you hear background noise, that's my cat who is freaking out right now. Um, but uh, the thing that I noticed most defensively is that they made a point to get Marcus Smart and Jalen Brown on James Harden and try to just overwhelm him with size, make sure to do some pre-switching to get Al Horford out of that matchup as much as possible. And, you know, I do think um, there is some degree to which having Joel Embiid on the floor, the Sixers were playing a slower end of basketball. And I think we'll, we'll get into Embiid, I think, in a, a little bit later, but um, the thing that I noticed in that first quarter was that even though shots were not falling and the, the offense looked like it was kind of stuck in the mud a little bit, um, for the most part, I was optimistic and encouraged based on how well their defense was playing and that bore out over the course of the game. Yeah, there were a couple of things also that caught my eye that were not quite like 
putting Brogdon on Harden early. And uh, there's just this one massive thing that we, we really need to talk about. And it has nothing to do with the game, at least directly. Uh, what did you think of the drone? The drone. I hated the drone. Um, I thought it was destroying uh, the you know kind of flow of the game uh, just from a picture standpoint. Um, I thought it was obnoxious and irritating. And the thing is, the drone was there to get like high angle wide shots of the play developing from an overhead. Um, but the shots sucked. They were bad quality. Like the offense, the the, the movement was super glitchy throughout. Um, the drone footage, it looked like it looked like NBA 2K for the phone level graphics. It really was not, not good at all. So uh to whoever is responsible for the drone, I think it's TNT. Listen, it's the playoffs. It's a like classic old school matchup, Philly versus Boston. We don't need beams. We don't need drones. We don't need any other like random space tech. Just let them play basketball, please. No gimmicks needed. Yeah, no, I actually made a 2K joke myself. And honestly, I'm I'm kind of embarrassed that I did because let's be honest, the 2K people put out a much better product than that was. Uh, yeah. That was terrible. I re legitimately thought I was looking at a video game simulation of the yeah. game we were watching when I first saw it. I'm like, what the hell is this? Yeah, they they uh they should have tried it out and seen how terrible it was in a game that was you know not so important. Yeah, run the drone out in a G League game before you test it in a real game, much less a playoff game. I mean, maybe they did, maybe they got a better result, but that was not very worth watching. Unlike Grant Williams, who made a first quarter appearance, uh, some yep. good hustle plays, uh, got the Celtics moving towards their first real momentum in the game. Uh, any thoughts on Grant in this game? He was terrific tonight. I thought this is one of the better games that Grant has played in some time. He looked confident on the defensive end above all else, you know, diving for loose balls, standing up to Embiid. Um, uh, you know, he got mowed down on some kind of uh, on, on some plays where Embiid was just bigger than him. And also there were a couple of classic MVP flops in there that I'm sure were meant to take Grant out of rhythm, but he held up. He did his job. And then on offense, you know, the corner three was flying. He did not hesitate. He did not go into weird up fakes and putting the ball on the deck and turning it over. He did exactly what he's supposed to do, which is take threes, crash the glass and just kind of be a chaos agent. And if that's the Grant Williams that we're going to get in this series, that guy's got to play because he can really be a helpful contributor. He'll get a lot more money than he was looking at if he keeps playing like this, too. Uh, I really do hope for both selfish and for his reasons that that, that continues. Uh, the second quarter started pretty well uh, for the Celtics as well. Jalen Brown really started to heat up. Uh, he really took over the game in a big way. Uh, and the real story, I think, of the game is that it didn't just end in, in the first half. It continued on into the second. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the the Sixers made a, a nice little run of it to to close out to to get it back into a single digit lead, uh, but then some more uh, Marcus Smart and Derek White kind of blowing things up, really put a cap on that half and, and gave Boston a bit of a cushion going into the second, and then a twelve point lead, you know, at the half got cut to eight. Uh, there were just six turnovers uh, between both teams, which was pretty surprising. And everything else was pretty much even throughout the first half with one thing, uh, ball movement. The Celtics seem to be back in that regard. Any uh, other observations on how the offense was playing? 
Yeah, the ball was moving on a much more fluid and crisp pace. And, you know, Joe Mazzulla said after game one uh, that the Celtics needed to take more threes. Um, I know that there's a lot of people who are just looking for anything to take Joe Mazzulla out over. And I have had some questions about it myself. Joe Mazzulla was absolutely right. The Celtics did need to take more threes. They took more threes uh, and it paid major dividends to them. Jalen Brown led the charge in the first half. Um, and he was really the story of the game for Boston offensively, at least initially. He really carried them uh, when they very much needed it with Jason Tatum struggling and in foul trouble and just kind of out of rhythm all game. Um, but a big part of why Jalen Brown was successful is because he was spacing the floor. He was opening things up and hitting threes. And that had a cascading effect, particularly when Brogdon, White and Smart started hitting threes as well. Um, Missoula was absolutely right on that. And I think the ball movement looked better. And, you know, I, again, I think we have to bring this back to Embiid just because he really is the big difference maker in this game in a lot of ways. When Embiid is out there, the Sixers default to a kind of drop defense for the most part. Occasionally they'll bring Embiid up on the level, but they've been trying to avoid that given that he's still a little physically compromised out there. Um, they've been trying to play and beat in the drop. That just opens up a lot of opportunities for Boston's offense on the perimeter, particularly if Maxi and Harden are both out there. Like those guys are exceptional offensive players who can really get their shot going at any time and are uniquely dangerous in that regard. But they give up a lot on the defensive end. And I think the Celtics made a point to exploit that, to exploit the fact that uh, the Sixers were playing this drop heavy defense um, PJ Tucker really struggled in this game. And I think that that's also a major piece of why Boston was able to kind of execute in the half court more effectively. Um, so I, I think part of it is that Boston did do a better job getting up shots and executing, but also I do want to, uh, throw in that. I think Philly's defense was pretty lackluster tonight. They, they didn't really have it going for a bunch of different reasons. Yeah, Harden went uh, zero from five from, from, from three-point range in the first half. Uh, in the second half, things got a lot more physical on both ends. We saw, you know, one of the reasons Tatum was in foul trouble was that inadvertent smack in the face of James Harden. Uh, we, we saw Joel Embiid flop onto Marcus Smart, who's already dealing with a sternum injury uh, and a neck injury. He was icing, ricing, whatever you want to call the uh, approach for soft tissue injuries uh, on his neck, which is definitely something to keep an eye on. Uh, there was also a great Derek White back-to-back -back three segment that really blew the game open for Boston. And that was pretty much curtains for Philadelphia at that point. What do you think of the reluctance to sit the, the star players other than a couple here and there throughout the second half once they were up like 30? Um, you know, I think... I understand why they didn't. Uh, obviously, the Celtics have had a nasty habit of choking away big leads. Uh, and, you know, Joe Mazzulla has been in positions where, you know, he puts the uh, he pulls the starters too early and suddenly it's like a 10 point game. And particularly against Philly, I, you definitely don't want that. Once it became clear that Doc Rivers was waving the white flag on this one, I think then it becomes a little strange. It's like why Robert Williams or Malcolm Brogdon or Derek White are in the game. But I, I understand the the kind of desire by Missoula to really slam the door on this one. Um, I think you mentioned Derek White, and we do have to talk about how 
a big reason uh, that the Celtics pulled away in the second half is that Derek White's shot started falling in a real way. Um, I think that that potentially uh, hints at some really good things for the Celtics in the rest of the series if he can start to hit his shots uh, at a reliable pace. The Celtics are a completely different team when White and Brogdon are able to contribute on the offensive end. And both of those guys really had it going tonight. So I think a big part of their plan going forward has got to be to make sure to get those guys involved early and often on the offensive end. Um, White, I've kind of noticed, you know, the three kind of comes and goes with him. But when he starts to get downhill and score in the paint, that's when the rest of the game opens up for him. So I think making sure to get White some plays with the ball in his hands and momentum going towards the basket will pay a lot of dividends. The other guy I want to shout out is Robert Williams. Um, Robert Williams didn't have like a monster stat line by any means, but he was very clearly impacting the game when he was out there. His size and length made things difficult around the rim and Philly really struggled to score at the rim in large part when he was there. Al Horford had his hands full with Joel Embiid for most of the night, even though he got a couple of blocks thrown in there um, and they needed Rob to be the cleanup man and just like protect the rim while Horford was doing the dirty work there. Uh, with Embiid and Rob did that to great effect um, you know PJ Tucker getting absolutely obliterated at the rim on that attempt at a reverse layup um, there were a couple more in there but Rob made his presence felt even if it wasn't uh, a massive box score for him so there's not too much else to say about this game I think we had a fast PP uh, Peyton Richard sighting in the fourth quarter Broden got kind of hot Smart came back in the game. Uh, there were some people, uh, I think Celtics blogs, Keith Smith was questioning the wisdom of that. And I, I was kind of vibing with that as well. Uh, anything that we missed from the game? Um, I think we mostly covered everything from the game. The only other thing that I would just kind of rehash and reiterate, uh, for particularly for Philly's side, is that... Um, you know, James Harden had 45 in that first game, and that made a huge difference. Tonight, he really struggled, as we mentioned before. Uh, he was 0 of 5 from deep, and just generally, it felt like he was not um, a significant presence on the offensive end. That's a guy that I think, given the volatility of his playoff performances, Boston has to be more aggressive in trying to take James Harden out of these games, because as much as Embiid is... A, you know, an MVP level player who can dominate on both ends. The key to Philly's offense functioning more broadly as a whole is what Harden is able to do in the pick and roll. And so I, you know, in circling back to kind of what we talked about earlier, I think Missoula's play of like, Marcus Smart, you are going to be on James Harden. And when you're not on James Harden, Jalen Brown is going to be on James Harden. And we are going to make life difficult for him as a creator. We're going to make it challenging for him to get into his uh, pick and roll sets and not bite on the pump fakes. Try to try your absolute best to just keep James Harden out of the action. I think that's a strategy that pays dividends and that clearly paid dividends tonight. And going forward, I think the big thing for Philly as far as their adjustments are going to be, is how do we find ways to get James Harden going to get him into favorable matchups and switches when Embiid is on the floor and Horford is able to play in a drop? Because so much of game one was James Harden being able to pull bigs into the high pick and roll and hunt them. 
when Boston gets a chance to go to their base drop defense with Embiid on the floor, uh, the calculus becomes really different for James Harden. So speaking of the calculus for James Harden and the rest of the Philadelphia 76ers, what do we expect to see in game three? Like, how do we think it's going to go? Do you think they're going to try maybe a little bit more of a kind of offense that they ran that would not really involve Embiid as much, more of a small ball look? Like, what's the adjustment? Yeah. I think I think definitely there you'll see them try to mix up a little bit more small ball. Um, there's a guy that I think kind of hasn't gotten going that I'm a little bit surprised by is DeAnthony Melton, a pickup that I really liked for the Sixers this offseason. So I think trying to get Melton involved a little bit more aggressively early, particularly if Maxi is getting hunted on the defensive end, much like he was tonight. I think you're going to see Melton start to play a bigger role in this series. Um, but I, I do think the kind of logical adjustment for Philly is to try and go back to more small ball sets, play with more pace and try and get out of the mud, um, which raises the question of kind of what do you do with Joel Embiid? Like he's he was clearly physically compromised out there. He made some shots. He had five blocks. The rim protection was legitimate. But at a certain point. Um, his offense was so negative for the team and it was so clearly limiting to what they were able to do. Um, Boston was able to figure that out and really attack them pretty ruthlessly. It might just be that they need Embiid to get healthier. Um, and, you know, I think that's kind of the biggest adjustment of sort that they can really hope for. But in the absence of that, I wouldn't be surprised to see uh, Doc pivot back to a more Houston Rockets style, James Harden and five shooters type of offense. Um, George Niang is a really interesting piece in this regard because when he's hitting threes and is able to play a kind of small ball four uh, lineup for them with PJ Tucker as the nominal five, that actually opens up a lot for Philly. But the counter to that is George Niang has a gigantic target on him every time he's on the floor. And Philly's in a weird place where they don't have a lot of two-way guys. They have a lot of guys who can score and they have a lot of guys who can defend. They don't have a lot of guys who are great at doing both. And I, I will be interested to see how they try and hide that going forward. Well, the series is tied 1-1. I'm very confident that the Celtics will win at least one of their games in Philadelphia. I think this series realistically could go to seven, but rather than revisit that every time we we follow up a game, uh, let's talk about another 1-1 series that Ah, has also been inflected by injury. I I knew where I'm going. Uh, The New York Knicks take game two without Jimmy Butler playing. Uh, Series tied up. Randall came back, scored 25 and 12. What are your thoughts? Um, So obviously Julius Randall coming back was pretty significant. They really needed his offense in a variety of different ways uh, for the Knicks to be successful. I'm still not feeling super great if I'm a Knicks fan, to be totally honest. Um, I think a lot depends, obviously, on Jimmy Butler's ankle and whether he's able to kind of come back. Uh, and be the Jimmy Butler that lit the Bucks on fire in round one. Um, but if he is able to be that Jimmy Butler, I'm still a little bit concerned about um, just, ha- frankly, how good Miami has looked from the perimeter. They've been raining threes on this Knicks defense. A Knicks defense that I think really prided themselves on gumming things up and making life difficult for three-point shooters. Um the other thing that the Knicks, I think, have to worry about is 
Mitchell Robinson has been an essential player for the Knicks. Um, He has really done a lot to kind of help carry them on the defensive end this year, but he, he, his free throw shooting is abysmal, like really, really bad to the point where a team as disciplined and intelligent as Miami is going to exploit when he's on the floor by hacking him and making him earn it from the line. When he's not out there for that Knicks defense, suddenly that interior becomes a lot more accessible. Now, Miami wasn't really able to take advantage of it the other night in, in large part because their primary around the rim threat is Jimmy Butler. If he's back and he's able to give them roughly what he was able to give them in round one, I think this could be a challenging series for the Knicks to get out. Not impossible, because I think they did get some things going, particularly with uh, Randall, with Brunson, and with R.J. Barrett, who I think is having a terrific playoffs. Um, but I, I, I would be concerned. But we have another series that's also unfolding in a, shall we say, concerning way, but in a positive way for Celtics fans, who I'm sure would much rather face the Los Angeles Lakers than the Golden State Warriors. With the Lakers now up one game to nil uh, in that series, uh, Anthony Davis in particular got 30 points, 23 uh, rebounds, and four blocks. That was exactly the kind of performance you were talking about in our last podcast for them to be successful. Yeah. How do you feel? Um, I mean, the Lakers did exactly what they needed to do. Anthony Davis was terrific. Um, I think in general, their young wings kind of showed out. Their their roster is much better after the trade le- deadline. They are a legit, legit playoff team. Um, I still think that the Warriors had a great shot to win that game late. Uh, and I'm, I would still feel fairly confident if I was a Warriors fan. I think a lot will depend on how tomorrow's game goes for sure. But um, I do think that, uh, you know, the Lakers did what they needed to do. They got one. Um, they're, uh, they're, they're in a good place. I think, I think they can afford to potentially, like, take the foot off the gas for this next game at least a little bit. Um, but, I mean, the Warriors, you know, they're the defending champs. They just gutted out a seven-game series in which Steph Curry had a nuclear game seven performance. They've done this a million times. They are totally fine with going down one in a series and then taking home court back. I am 100% confident that they can win on the road and even this up. Yeah, I, I do tend to agree with you there as well. I am going to get you out the door as an educator. I know you have stuff to do early in the morning. On the other sure. side of the breakthrough, the magic of editing, once again, we will be talking with Kant about Dubai, about what he heard, but we will start out with what he had been hearing about Jason Tatum and his new uh, player versus player challenge on NBA 2K, which is really the only news worth mentioning that we have this pod. So with that, uh, I will see you very soon. All right. Catch you later, Justin. Go Seas. We're back. Hello, dear listeners. Um, We're on the other side of that magical editing break, and I'm coming to you live from TD Garden. Apologies in advance. They're breaking everything down, so it might be a little loud on my end. Also, <laughs> also a little for the YouTube crowd, a little visually distracting. Um, but I'm swapping out for Alex because I've got some perspectives from being at the game, but also I want to talk about the new PvP challenge that NBA 2K is launching. And Jason Tatum's on the cover of that, which is pretty exciting. Um, basically, it's it's just an opportunity for players to challenge each other one-on-one anywhere in the world that the NBA 2K mobile app 
is available. And for Celtics fans, I mean, fans of the game will enjoy that, obviously, but Celtics fans might enjoy the ad that Jason Tatum did with Ronnie 2K. There's uh, references to his iconic Mustang. There's references to Deuce Tatum. There's references to him going to the DMV. It's a cute little ad. Um, and I think it really elevates the 2K mobile platform. So I uh, was happy to learn a little bit about that, get an inside scoop on that. And yeah, uh, I know, for example, a lot of my students don't play on gaming consoles. Instead, they play on their phones. Um, and again, apologies for the background noise. Uh, it's fine. Have you ever seen one of those time lapses where they turn the stadium over? I'm sitting in one of them in, in real time. <laughs> A lot less quiet. A lot less quiet, yeah. Uh, we are going to pause the action before we get into my perspectives on game two. I want to talk about my friends over at FanDuel. Make a fast break to FanDuel during the NBA playoffs because right now new customers can get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. It's $1,000 back in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Uh, I think that that's a pretty good deal, especially if you consider... Boston's uh, standing here in game two if you had that no sweat bet beforehand because teams I think now are 13 and 0 uh, home teams are after blowing game one in the past 13 games or something like that and I think Celtics fans were a little nervous about what would happen in this game but statistically it would have been a safe bet and you could have gotten yourself some extra moolah in your betting account so we want to remind you that there's no better place to bet all the playoff action than America's number one sports book. Visit FanDuel.com slash Boston and get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's FanDuel.com slash Boston. FanDuel, official sports betting partner of the NBA. You must be 21 and older in select states. It's a first online real money wager. Only $10 deposit is required. Refund is issued as a non-withdrawable bonus bet that expires in 14 days. Restrictions apply. You can see full terms at FanDuel.com slash sportsbook. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit FanDuel.com slash RG. Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, uh, and Virginia. 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342 for Arizona. 1-800-188-879-777 or visit org slash chat in Connecticut. 1-800-9-WHIT in Indiana, 1-800-522-470 or visit ksgambling.help.com in Kansas, 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana, gamblinghelpma.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland, one 800 Seven seven eight hope ny or text hope ny four six seven three six nine in new york 1-800-522-4700 uh wyoming or visit 1800gambler.net west virginia they really gotta make like a musical jingle for us to make that flow a little bit better like 1-800-522-4700 or would be like, like an american pie like song yeah i, I don't want to a little seeking help if you have a gambling problem but that was the real challenge for a tired cameron yeah we just want to make that you know a little bit more legible to the ear uh one thing that was incredibly legible to the eye that i want to touch on because of its connection to nba 2k or rather lack of connection but it looked like it had a connection to nba 2k was the frame rate 
of the drone. <laughs> I had no idea where you're going with that. Um, yeah, Tell me what I, you thought about that. What's funny, I got here uh, on the early side and I, as I like to do, I just like kind of sit and have a coffee and recharge my batteries a little. And as with um, Jack Simone of Celtics blog, and a drone flew in and it's for the YouTube crowd, it's about yay big. It's the size of like, I don't know, a, a big dinner plate. And we thought, oh, that's cute. I never would have thought it would have been a primary source for the broadcast. I would have thought like, you know, they got some good shots or some promotional stuff or whatever, but um, it was quite obvious the entire game. If you were in-house, you could see it. It was moving around. It wasn't uh, sitting in one place. It was kind of all over the place. And yeah, you were watching at home. The shots were just no bueno. No. I, I legitimately, like, I made the NBA 2K joke on Twitter, like I was saying earlier, but the frame rate was so bad, I legitimately was wondering, like, why are they showing NBA 2K in the middle of a live playoff broadcast? This is like a YouTube thing that you see sometimes, some weird video that you thought was not what you thought it was. Yeah, it was terrible. Yeah. We did not like it. I think the problem was it wasn't a big enough drone to carry a television quality camera. Yeah. So it was just annoying and not additive i also think and we're dealing with this here on the Celtics Hub podcast that td garden doesn't have great wi-fi and so maybe its ability to broadcast its its image was limited um so yeah uh i'm sure the nice people at tnt really cared about that project and i it was well-intentioned but it did not land or land on any fans which it might have i mean that could have been a, a thing too <laughs> Yeah, there was lots of landings. Uh, Jason Tatum landing his forearm on James Harden's face. Uh, uh, Joel Embiid yeah. landing on Marcus Smart. Uh, apart from the action, which we pretty much beat up, what were your opinions on some of the extracurricular stuff like that that we saw? Anything untoward? Anything that has you concerned for the future? No. Um, if anything, uh, a physical match really benefits Boston. Because other than uh, PJ Tucker and maybe Paul Reed. I don't think the Sixers have that the fight in them in the same way. Um, at least of which, look, Tatum had seven points tonight. Al Horford was like one of eight from the field, and still the Celtics won by 34 points. Um, most teams can't survive their guys being rattled or out, and if it becomes a rock fight and foul trouble comes into play, or people get a little hurt or thrown off their game, Boston just has more tools than philly possibly has in that scenario so no it was extraordinary how different game two was in terms of physicality compared to game one and i think that not only like x's and o's benefits boston but in terms of extracurriculars and mind games and the game within the game and all of that wonderful those platitudes it really behooves boston and it's not even close um so i, I loved it it was the approach boston needed to take and these are, if you ask the NBA, world class rivals, right? So we want we we want love lost, a little bit here. Okay, um, I have more takes on the game if you'll indulge, but I want to pause the action and talk about our friends over at BetterHelp. Um, BetterHelp continues to be a service that we're really really happy to promote here. It's a chance for people to to either pick therapy back up or start it anew for the first time. And it's an easy, online, convenient, and flexible product. It's suited for your schedule. It starts with a questionnaire. You get matched with a licensed therapist. And you can switch at any time at no additional cost, which is a really big deal. I know I have a friend, 
uh, on the West Coast who is between therapists right now. And that could be really hard. Um, if you find someone you like, that's a really powerful experience. But you move, they move. Sometimes you outgrow your therapist, um, which is a kind of funny experience. And to have an online service that is flexible, like BetterHelp, um, can not only bridge the gap, but it can give people new opportunities. I mean, I think that that uh, one of our uh, the things we like to do in these ad reads is kind of dissect all the different minutia around what therapy is and what it offers. And I think um, it can be really discouraging to be between therapists. And maybe this could be your primary therapist, but it could also be something that helps bridge the gap. So go ahead and discover your potential with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash saltlab today and get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash saltlab. So tell me more about what you saw in the game and then we'll get to media availability. Uh, 34 points ties the third biggest playoff victory for the Boston Celtics ever. And they've been playing Celtics basketball since the 40s. So that's pretty wonderful. Look, uh, Joel Embiid, was not right. His knee was bothering him. There's a play and like at the, the second quarter where he came down pretty hard on his knee and he grabbed at it. It, it didn't stop the action, but he was aware of it. Um, I think that it was something that really bothered him. And the, the problem for Philadelphia just straight up is if Embiid is out there, it's not heliocentric, but like it's necessarily... The, their offense is funneled to the, the paint and James Harden just like doesn't have the space to operate. So I think Boston really played well. I think they game planned really well and they executed rape really well. Credit to uh, Jalen Brown. Joe Missoula was effusive in his praise of Jalen Brown setting the pace. Um, but I also think there's systemic issues with the Sixers that we knew about and were highlighted here in a big, big way. So those systemic issues, tell me more about them. I mean, one is obviously they know how to defend Embiid when he's healthy, and he was very clearly not healthy, which was, you know, a pretty big advantage. Uh, Alex seems to think that they're going to change up their coverage and mix in a little bit of the game one action we saw a bit more for game two, or excuse me, three. Uh, tell me more about these advantages. I mean, they can't because they have the MVP. Like, you can't, you can't ignore Joel Embiid on offense or defense. So the Sixers are limited in their ability to revert back to game one. Sorry, a, a particularly big thing is coming through. Um, it's a really... The, the number of people that go into making a Celtics game happen is extraordinary. Um, more than I certainly would ever realize, but I think the average person would ever know. It's really fascinating. Shout um, out anyways. to the guy behind you or person, as it may yeah. be. Um, uh, those people, they don't get enough credit, and frankly, they should. Yeah, they're going to be here way later than I am. Um, no, I'm, I I know that this is a dis distraction for people who want to hear about basketball, but... Wouldn't be any basketball without them. Like one chair at a time, they're moving things apart. Um, anyways, they have a Joel Embiid problem, which is unless he is the MVP, as in... For the next five games, he is without a doubt the best player on the court. It doesn't really work. It works when he goes for 40 points, 50 points, whatever. But when he, I mean, he only had like 15 tonight. When he's a good player, not a great player, then it just kind of mucks up the spacing. Um, if they, and the thing is, he's not Jokic or, or even Giannis. Like he doesn't really operate off the nail or off the elbow. He really operates either in the post or the three point line. And 
he's a good passer, but that doesn't really facilitate shooters or anything like that. Oh, spooky. I get some mood lighting while I take down the Sixers offense. And the, the audio only the crowd must be very confused. The YouTube crowd understands what's going on here. Um, so, yeah, I, I said this before. I think they need to stagger and beat and harden a little more, which doesn't really work because they don't have the depth to do that. I mean, with respect to Maxi and uh, Tobias Harris, if it's just Embiid out there or just Harden out there, they just like, don't have that many weapons. So, uh, I think the Sixers goose might be a little cooked here. I think that the ability for them to make meaningful adjustments is is kind of hamstrung by the fact that they have to play two guys who are limited to an extent. Also, when does Doc Rivers ever make those kind of adjustments? I mean, almost <laughs> never. So <laughs> I'm not really expecting it. Uh, tell us... No. Tell us a bit about what you heard at media availability. I know you heard lots of praise for Jalen Brown from Joe, but who did you talk to and what did they tell us? Sure. So um, Missoula was funny. I mean, he was asked about the intensity um, and he was really happy to report back that the Celtics were pissed about how the game went. And he was happy that they were pissed. Uh, He joked with us. We didn't ask enough X's and O's questions, apparently. Uh, I think he thinks that we're very dialed into the specifics in losses and we only talk about themes and wins. And he was, I think, honestly peeved about that, quite frankly. Uh, no, he, he did good. Yeah, he, they did good. Where's the questions? We'll do better. Yeah, he, he was really uh, sincere and honest about the fact that the, the team was pissed and he was honest and sincere about how much he liked that. He kept coming back to Jalen Brown's to the tone early and that the defense in particular is going to lock the offense that um, that's how they got into their offensive rhythm. So, I mean, Boston just put up 121 points I and mean, they had a great offensive showing, but it really was the defense and Missoula was quick to harp on that as was the media. I mean, really that was the, the obvious story here. Music to my ears. I, I really, I cannot say how happy <laughs> that makes me. Uh, so who else was at media availability? Joe? Well, interestingly enough, part of why there's such a hubbub behind me is because we're recording this reasonably quickly after the horn. Uh, for an 8 p.m. start, things moved quickly. Uh, they had Malcolm and Jalen come out together. And I, I don't want to play armchair psychologist, but there weren't a lot of smiles from the Celtics. Both games, there was a lot of seriousness. Um, Jalen Brown is really... Jalen Brown is really, he'd be a good writer. He's very good at saying the big picture things. So saying like, look, if you want to be there, this is the kind of game you want to play. And uh, he's talking about how it all starts on the defensive end. It was, it was sports platitudes, but it worked. Um, Malcolm, I, I think offers kind of similar pie in the sky commentary. Um, he very succinctly uh, made sure to call Jason and Jalen superstars. Um, because someone suggested, you know, what do you do when your star player, Jason Tatum, is, is down and out, and he quickly pivoted to include both of them, which yeah. was smart. Um, look, a damn the, broken record today. Good. Uh, so did they. The, the story was they were pissed. They were pissed at game one. Maybe they should have been pissed during game one, and that would have been helpful, but past is the past. They were pissed. They used the word embarrassed. They understood that that was positively absolutely no bueno. Uh, 
and they weren't celebrating much because I think they just played to their abilities. Um, and I don't think they get a gold star or a cookie for playing as well as they ought to. Um, and I, I think that's probably how they see it is they understand that they're better than the Sixers. There were 10 and a half point favorites last night. There were eight point favorites tonight or Monday night tonight. They were definitively the better team, except for, and this is now a trope at this point, when they beat themselves. So they were pissed they beat themselves in game one. I'm sure they read, maybe not our stuff, but some of the stuff. Uh, sure they listened to the Celtics Lab podcast. They knew what people were saying. They knew what the fans were saying. And I think at one point in the second half, it got down to 13. Like the Sixers like teased making a game. But look, Boston outscored Philly 35 to 16 in the third quarter. There's the thing that we feared was a second half meltdown. And they turned the heat all the way up when they needed to. It was great. Again, I, I mean, Tatum, I'm sure seven points is a postseason low or among his lowest. And but to be fair, he was very active on defense. He wasn't always successful on defense, but he tried really, really hard. And I think it showed a lot. Yeah. You no, know, I mean, he had, uh, oh, it's not up there because the, the bus boys are up there, um, which was fun. We can talk about that. Uh, Tatum had seven rebounds, I think, something like that. Uh, yeah, he was he was good. He just was in foul trouble. He only played 19 minutes. Um, shot one for seven from the field. He wasn't, he wasn't doing great, but he was effective when he was out there. They just didn't need him to be more than effective, which is, again, a huge credit to their depth. Well, apart from media availability, uh, let's go a little bit bigger picture again. Uh, what's your biggest takeaway from this game, if there is a takeaway from this game? My takeaway is that Philly is a really tough crowd and the Celtics still play. Uh, we were talking at dinner. Someone used the word immature and I felt a little icky using that word, but dance around actually saying it. No, um, they're, they're immature. They're a younger team. They haven't proven themselves. They make mistakes. They deserve the title until they don't deserve the title. And this was a step towards that, but they have a ways to go. Sure. So uh, Philly's a tough place. It's a 1-1 series. I kind of expect Philly to grab a win. I think it would be a little embarrassing for Philly if they can't get a, a home win. Um, but big picture, it's it's the Celtics to lose, and I don't think they're going um, to. We've talked about this a lot about the Sixers this season. They just don't have enough depth. Um, Embiid was a worthy MVP. And James Harden, if James Harden makes an all-NBA team, I wouldn't even be that shocked, although it's a crowded field. Uh, PJ Tucker, Tobias Harris, like it's just not a quality supporting cast for a team with real designs to contend. Or Boston, it has that in spades. So my big picture takeaway is game one could happen in some some way or another. Again, um, like we saw in Atlanta, every team in the NBA is pretty good, and three point shooting allows for a lot of variance. So I expect Boston to lose a game in Philly, be it two, three, or six. Um, but this was in the, we've seen it all. The, the output in game one was as bad as it could be for the Celtics. And game two is about as good as it could be. Actually, not not even close, because Jason Tatum could have had a good game. This could have been a 50-point burger instead. Um, but yeah, Boston's a better team. It's, it's so dramatic that Boston's a better team. And that doesn't mean they're going to, win the next three, although they could. 
But um, I could see it happening. I, I I'm with you. I think they're gonna drop one of the two games in the Philly homestand of the series. Uh, but after that, I think it's gonna be Boston the series to wrap. Yeah. Yeah, it was um no one was particularly flapped uh among media people uh prior to the game or post game. I think everyone knew exactly what the Celtics identified after this one is like they blew it in game one. I mean, Harden went and took it a little bit, but they really blew it in game one, and that was that. Well, speaking of wrapping, let's get ourselves out of here. We've got stuff to do uh, relative to all that wonderful media availability you did for us. Uh, I thank you for that extensively. Mm -hmm. And we'll be back soon, maybe this weekend, if we have some luck with a special guest we're working on. If not, we will see you next week. Yeah. Um, if there is an upcoming episode, I am shout out to Alex Fetterbush and his bachelor party in Chicago. I'm going to go paint the town red in the Midwest. Um, otherwise, I want to let you know that this episode of the Celtics Tab podcast was brought to you by FanDuel, the exclusive wagering partner of the CLMS Media Network and BetterHelp. You deserve to be happy. Once again, thanks for listening. Go check out our stuff on Celtics Wire. That's where all of, all of the writing juice gets squeezed. And we'll see you soon whether it's me whether it's Justin Alex surprise guest I don't know